Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes, while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase. All the while, laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens, international business attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Dami Adepoju is a hospitality, tourism, and leisure professional with varied industry experience across many global cities. She currently leads Marriott's hotel development activities across West Africa in her capacity as Director of Lodging Development. She is responsible for the deal-making necessary to growing Marriott's footprint in the region. Dami, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law and Business. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, really nice. <laughs> Pleasure is ours. And to get things started, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. So um, Nigerian-American, um, I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York, while my mother was there for, um, she was in the U.S. for grad school. Uh, we went back to Nigeria after she graduated, and I lived in Nigeria up until I finished secondary school or high school, as you would know it. I came back to New York for college. I went to Hunter College of the City University of New York in Manhattan, and I had a quintessential New York City college experience, <laughs> whatever that is. I majored in accounting and after college, I found my first job in the hotel industry, actually. And I moved to, to Maryland to work at the Marriott headquarters in an accounting role. A couple years after that, I was ready for grad school, um, ready because my parents uh, put the very typical Nigerian pressure on me to to further my education and go to grad school. And I, I found a great balance in a program in France, a hospitality MBA program. That was the perfect blend of where I wanted to go with my career after that first role at Marriott and my longing to explore Europe and, and France. And so I went, to, I went to Paris. I spent two years there getting an MBA. And going in, I was pretty focused that I wanted to use that experience and my previous experience to pivot into the hotel development space in Africa. And so after about 10 years of uh, working after grad school, I found myself uh, where I am today, which is uh, handling hotel development for West Africa at Marriott. In a nutshell, that's yeah, kind of my progression, I guess, from 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 birth to now. That is so much interesting background. I don't really know where to start, but I'm very curious about uh, about Nigeria. I've met people from Nigeria before. I know that Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa by far, 
And I'm fascinated to think, maybe I'm, I'm just drawing strange parallels in my mind here, but I think about Africa, or about Nigeria being analogous to China and India in that in, within the region, when you have that population, there is a lot of pressure. So when you said your parents gave you the, the quintessential Nigerian pressure to go to grad school, it feels to me like it's a, it's a thing that a lot of Chinese kids would grow up with as well, where, you know, the population is so big, people would say the country is very crowded, the, the uh, competition must be very intense. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect of, of life there? Yeah, I mean, the one thing is we're very big on education. Um, in Nigeria, we're we're we have about two hundred and fifty um, nationalities or tribes, and the one of the three dominant ones are the Yoruba people, um, which is where I'm from, and we're very big of edu- on education in my part of the world, in my part of Nigeria, um, and owing to a heritage of. Uh, some of our our initial uh, leaders post post colonization, who were also very big on on education, and that's kind of that's a legacy that we tend to carry on till today. So um, the Chinese, I think there was a book once uh, called Tiger Mom. Uh, many Nigerians or Africans, I think, relate to that because we definitely have a lot of tiger moms in in Nigeria. And um, people are known to getting steered one way or the other um, to accounting or uh, medicine or the legal the legal um, profession. Um, growing up, it was either you wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a banker or an accountant. It wasn't it wasn't the way it is now, where people are, are having um, gumption and and are allowed to explore other creative areas. Uh, my partner is in fashion design. Uh, growing up, nobody nobody said they wanted to be a fashion designer, but now there's it, it's it's one of the thriving spaces. Creativity is is now. Um, seen as something worthy to pursue, and 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 so things are changing. But when I was born in '84 um, and growing up, it wasn't uh, it wasn't so encouraged. But uh, I think a lot of the dynamics that also uh, push education is you know the need to differentiate yourself um, in a very populated uh, country. Your you, you know, you're fighting for jobs. If you grow up, if you're born here and raised here and, and this is the only place you know as home, you're, you're going to be fighting for jobs with, with other people and you have, to, um, you have to be more educated, you have to be, you know, more driven and um, there's only so many resources available and so you kind of have to make do with, um, with what's, with, you know, with what's, what's here in a scarcity environment. So I like the word you used, gumption. Would you say that in country are are people generally optimistic, even though it's a very competitive environment? Uh, would you say that the entrepreneurial environment is strong? Are people optimistic? Do they feel like they can really make their way? Uh, you know, despite all of the all of the headaches that that they'll have to go through. I would say people are aspirational uh, versus optimistic. We see um, examples of prosperity abroad, and um, so we want to emulate it here. 
whether or not we're actually prosperous. So there's 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 definitely a culture of faking it till you make it, or again, back to what I said about, you know, wanting to differentiate yourself, uh, wanting to look like you're doing better than, than your neighbor. And th- there's actually um, a thing here is it's, it's called better past my neighbor. And, it, you know, you want to have a generator in your, in your apartment. If, you know, if, because we have to have generators, um, you want to have a bigger one than your neighbor does. You want to have a bigger car. You want to have a bigger house. So there's there's a lot of aspiration in our culture, and that drives a lot of um, the entrepreneurship <laughs> that we see in Nigeria. And so, yes, it's a very entrepreneurial culture. Um, people want to do better. At the same time, there's also the um, knowledge that you can only achieve as much as your macro environment allows. And uh, what we've seen in the last four or five years is a mass exodus of well-educated middle-class professionals who are getting um, visas to go to Canada and and, and UK and, and Germany and, and Australia and some of these other places that are more receptive to, to getting professionals in from other countries. So we that are left here, whether by choice or um, by default, we have to make the best of things. And and for me personally, that's what keeps me here is that optimism um, and the aspiration to see a better country um, in in my lifetime and hopefully for my for my children. So, um, to your question, I think it's more aspiration. I think the optimism depends on uh who's who's you know the macro environment who's in in who's the leader who's in power and we're not so optimistic right now to be honest and we're optimistic that in a couple of years when we get new leadership things will change that's that's kind of like a, a mid to long range optimism that people hold here sure that's great thank you for sharing and certainly we'll, we'll come back and touch on that. I love the human element behind all of the impressive business people. Yeah, And, you know, I, I share this with a lot of people when I love it on somewhere like LinkedIn, when someone posts and my friend who's in HR, a very, very accomplished person in HR, uh, and he'll post from time to time, everyone is faking it. All right. And so those kind of reminders that everyone has, everyone's trying to punch above their weight. We're all, we're all kind of swimming in the deep end when we know maybe we're not, maybe we're not totally equipped to swim in the deep end. But I think the, the idea that we all keep encouraging each other and sharing those real stories, right? Our successes, our failures, our, uh, you know, our confidence and our insecurities, it's all healthy in our business environment to let everyone know to the extent that we're comfortable doing that, that we're all, we're all trying and we all feel like we're failing on, on some days. So let's switch a little bit to your region. I know that you cover more than just Nigeria. You're, you cover West Africa for Marriott. Can you tell us a little, little bit more about your market um, and the differences in, uh, you know, in the countries in West Africa from your perspective uh, in the hospitality industry? Yeah, so the countries that I cover for work, they it's West Africa. It actually it, it ranges all the way from Cape Verde, which is an island country uh, with with ten volcanic islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which is Portuguese speaking, all the way through the you know mostly French speaking West Africa, 
um, of the 19 countries, only five speak English, Nigeria being one of them, Ghana, Sierra Leone, uh, Liberia, and uh, Gambia, the Gambia, which is incidentally surrounded by, by, by French-speaking Senegal. Um, and then I also actually cover a little bit of Central Africa, just because they're they're so close to to Nigeria, and so I cover Cameroon, um, a country like Gabon that's um, compared to Nigeria, tiny, um, minute really. It's like a speck uh, in terms of the population compared to to a country like Nigeria, where we're pushing two hundred million uh, people. So the terrain varies, and the differences are everything from the languages spoken. Um, in these regions, there's about there's four languages uh, spoken in between between West and Central Africa: English, French, Portuguese, and uh, Spanish. Um, and so they differ in that sense. They differ in the pace of economic growth. Um, you have the you have you know you have the large economies like Nigeria, which. Uh, is the largest in the region. Um, you have smaller economies, and and so that those are the dynamics that that I kind of have to keep in mind, and and um, uh, and they play a big role in how I'm strategizing for our for our growth. And how dependent are uh, these countries in Western Central Africa on tourism? I know that COVID has had quite an impact, but um, besides, na- this I'm going to reflect my ignorance here a bit, uh, but besides natural resources, um, I know there are a lot of up and coming industries as well on, on the tech sector in quite a few African countries, but is uh, how dependent are these economies on tourism? Yeah, good question. Um, not very much. They're mostly dependent on natural resources, um, you know, the oil, agriculture, um, in some places, increasingly services. Um, tourism doesn't play that much of a role, but either way, we need hotels because we're getting business tourists. And that's, that's you know, that makes up most of the demand um, for hotels in, in these regions. It's mostly people coming in, uh, to do work, whether they're contractors in the financial sectors, and that's and that's where we depend on the service industries in these in these uh, in these countries to provide uh, uh, demand for growth. Um, people come, the government that plays a big role too in um, driving demand for hotels because they're always having activities, whether it's national, um, more at a grassroots level, local. Um, and then regional um, ECOWAS, which is the economic community of of West African states. That's that's a big regional block in in West Africa, and they tend to have um, events, conferences, and so on that are that are driven around those those uh, countries uh, that make up the block. Um, the Central Africa region has their own, um, which typically happens in Cameroon, and so that drives a lot of the demand that uh, is. That, that goes to Cameroon, it, that goes to the capital city in Cameroon and, and stay in hotels. So for us, um, it's mostly business tourism, which isn't the typical uh, tourism segment that, that you think of when you're saying tourism. But for us, it's tourism, right? It's just classified as business as opposed to, to leisure. And then increasingly, we're also getting 
um, a lot of visiting family and friends. Um, people are coming back home more often. It used to be limited to just the fest, the, the Christmas time uh, at the end of the year. People want to come home, uh, and these are people in the diaspora who live in in the West or or in China in the East. They come back home uh, with their families and where they would want to stay with with family members in the past they're now increasingly wanting to to get a more city experience and they're staying in cities and they're staying in the hotels in the cities and that's we're seeing that impact especially around christmas time but it's also growing throughout the year and one thing that that the pandemic has done is when people are able to work remotely we're seeing more people come throughout the year because they can work from here um, still keep their job and, and, you know, be closer to home. And, you know, and then in, in, in places like Ghana, who have been very strategic in welcoming Africans in the diaspora, particularly from America and, and uh, the UK and um, other parts of Europe, uh, 2019, they had this whole year of return. That's what it was coined. And it was, it was meant to signify... Um, the anniversary of the, the first slaves leaving from uh, from a port in, in Accra, Ghana. And so it culminated in, it was a whole year of activities and it culminated in um, December where it was just flooded. The Accra had never seen that kind of crowd before, but a lot of people were um, there just to celebrate, you know, this this whole, you know, year of, of um trying to reunite Africans, African-Americans, African-Canadians, Africans in the diaspora with, you know, with their home, with their, you know, ancestral homes. And that was, uh, that was very strategic for Ghana. And they've kind of opened up to, to wanting to sustain this and, and keep that flow of, of tourists growing. So there are spots here and there. Um, there's Ghana, there's Senegal. Senegal is a very um, stable country, it's about seven hours to New York on a direct flight. Uh, Delta operates a direct flight, and so and and they have um, they have they're, they're French speaking, so they have they always have um, the inflow from from France, and and they've been um, pretty good at growing their their leisure tourism industry as well. Um, Cape Verde, like I mentioned, is an island in the Atlantic, and and they get a lot of tourists. It's Tourism is is very big for them, but it's it's a small country, so it you know when we're talking about the whole region, it's it's not that much. But there are spots of of leisure uh, tourism markets here and there. Um, there's some that are that are trying to grow their leisure markets as well, but most of the most of the tourism is really driven by businesses, business, conference, um, corporates, and that kind of that kind of uh, that type of demand. That's a wealth of information. I, I, I often reflect when I'm talking to guests on the podcast, how much I learn and how much I look forward to these conversations, because it would take me, uh, you, you know, days of researching to understand what you just said in the last five minutes, right? To get a real insider's view on what's important, what's driving people, uh, you know, the uh, ECOWAS, I mean, all of this. And even I, while you were talking, I had to Google quickly, which of the which of the West African countries 
had Spanish as an official language in Equatorial Guinea. And I didn't know that. I knew about the Anglophone countries. I knew about Francophone countries, but I didn't know about Equatorial Guinea. So thanks for, thanks for making this fun and for us to be able to continue to learn every time we, every time we have guests on. So let's talk about your hotel developments in West Africa. What are some of the main considerations that go into it? You've already mentioned that tourism is not necessarily the drive, but can you talk a little, maybe, a little more maybe around the business activities? Um, where are some of the hotspots? If you have any war stories you'd love to share, that would be great. We love, we love hearing real world examples about some of the challenges and opportunities that you've seen since you've been working in that area. I mean, the the major considerations are the macro environment, right, of the country. Is it stable politically? Um, you know, is the is it secure even for business? Right, P- people don't want to, and there's all kinds of advisories when when there's issues in a country, and 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 that would typically reduce uh, the kind of traffic going in. So the stability is a big factor. The economic growth, if the GDP is, is, you know, growing and healthy, then you're going to see more hotels. You're going to see the need for more hotels. Um, and if it's not, it's it's going in the opposite direction. Um, and then money, <laughs> um, the money to build these hotels, because operators like Marriott um, and, you know, a lot of our competitors, we don't actually own these hotels. We don't own the assets. We own the brand name, we own, you know, the operational know-how, but we depend on the real estate investors to, to build these hotels that we operate. And most of the owners of the hotels in this region are locals. They're, they're local high net worth individuals, um, local business owners, entrepreneurs, um, some corporates. It's it's becoming more institutionalized, so we're getting more corporates um, in the space. But typically, it's it, traditionally it's it's mostly been um, individual owners, family offices, and things like that. You know, a good reason why I'm based in Lagos, covering uh, West Africa, is to be closer to the owners or potential owners of of hotels and people that we would partner with. The majority of these owners would have. Um, you know, raised equity, they have land, uh, they might need some financing, debt financing to 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 complete it. But it's usually uh, people with money already who want to build hotels. And so sometimes uh, you kind of have to do reality checks. Uh, I don't know if, if, if uh, yeah, you kind of have to do reality checks sometimes because, uh, sometimes people are driven more by ego when you have money and you want to build the biggest five-star hotel in town. It might not necessarily be uh, financially sound uh, to do a five-star, maybe a three-star or four-star is probably what the market needs. But sometimes we get requests for um, we get requests, you know, for for projects that are too outsized for the market. And so there's, there's always a little bit of finessing to, um, to bring people more to reality. And a good example of that is, um, you know, you have major cities like Lagos, uh, our capital, Abuja, um, Accra in Ghana, uh, Dakar in Senegal. And, um, and then you have secondary markets, right? Because uh, you know, there's there's 36 states in Nigeria, and maybe the capital of somewhere in maybe the southeast. Somebody 
wants to build a five-star hotel in their hometown, which, which, you know, it's great, but you're not going to be, it's not a profitable uh, venture. You're not going to be able to sustain the kind of rates that would make that investment worthy. And, you know, maybe you should do a, a, a courtyard, in, you know, instead of a JW Marriott's. And so, um, those are some of the, uh, you know, more human challenges, but really it's, it's, you know, getting the kind of financing, the patient financing that understands the hospitality and the hotel industry, and also understands the nature of, of, uh, economic growth in these countries. You take a country like Nigeria that from, uh, from when we transitioned to uh, democratic rule in 2000, you know, was basically in a boom period from, from 2000 uh, during the economic recession in 20, 2008, 2009, we were, we were coasting. We were, for the most part, not as impacted uh, on a macro level. And uh, this boom just went on until until uh, energy prices went down in 2015, 2016. And we're, you know, it's, it's a bit of a struggle to go back up, but are we going uh, in a positive direction in the long run? Yes. Um, and you need to be patient to understand that, you know, an economy like Nigeria is going to be hit if there is Ebola in, in DRC that's, you know, thousands of miles away, but people are going to th- say, oh, there's something happening in, you know, whether it's that country or another country, it's Africa. And so Nigeria is going to be impacted negatively and you kind of have to wait that out. And then you go back up, you know, on the, you go back up again and then something else happens like the economy and, and oil prices and there's a glut in the oil prices. And then it's, you know, another dip. And then you go back up and, you know, there's a pandemic and then you go back up. And so the patience to understand and wait out that kind of uh, terrain, very high risk, very high reward, but very high risk um, is usually not forthcoming from outside. Um, it usually has to be raised um, locally and and uh, interest rates are not favorable for long-term investments. And so uh, financing always, always um, is an issue. And so with uh, a typical development period in North America, from, from inception to when the hotel opens, maybe about two, three years is, is, is fair. Here, um, it could take, Upwards of 10 years. Um, there's a hotel that opened in, in Ghana, took 20 years from inception to opening. Um, and so longer development periods are very common. Uh, if someone comes to me and, and they says, oh, we want to build a hotel, it's going to take us three years. I already know, mm, let's factor uh, maybe another four years to that timeline. And it's, you know seven years, eight years or longer, it's, it's not surprising. Um, it's not surprising at all. So, so those are kind of the, the challenges we face, um, financing, getting, getting raw materials um, locally is almost impossible when you're doing things 
um, at an international standard. When you want to build, um, you know, an internationally branded hotel with with international standards, it's almost impossible to find the local materials at um, the level that you need them to be. And so everything is imported. Um, and if you have a weak currency, like we currently do now, um, that's a strain on on your financing. You're you're almost having to pay double. Um, you know, say you planned you plan this project last year, and then, or maybe you plan this project 2019, and then the pandemic happened, and all the all the all of the fallout from that has resulted in your currency devaluing. Um, you're going to spend two or three times more than you initially planned, and and that's 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 always a challenge for any project. And so when we have um, open hotels, when when projects are completed, especially hotels, it's it's very gratifying. It's very satisfying. It's 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 very highly celebrated. Um, the Marriotts that opened recently last year in Lagos, you know, we had. We had representatives from the state government to 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 the national government uh, at the opening ceremony because because that's that's really a feat <laughs> to achieve um, in in this space. This is so fascinating for me. I've worked on hotel deals in my uh, in my time on the East Coast in the U.S., and so a lot of what you're telling me resonates. Uh, so I'm curious, how involved are you from inception to completion in in your role? I, I know you said that that Marriott is not owning the assets, but helping to probably license the assets. Are you, is, does Marriott provide any kind of oversight other than having, you know, kind of the typical franchisor guidelines? Are, is Marriott providing operational assistance to get things up and running? Are you, are you helping to hire staff or is that all run by a separate management company for the hotel? Yeah, uh, our model um, certainly covers management. And so, so here we usually deploy, we usually deploy the management uh, business model where the owner gives Marriott the mandate to operate the hotel on, on their behalf versus the franchise, um, where Marriott gives the owner the license to brand the hotel and, and the owner operates the hotel by themselves. Um, we don't have enough of the technical know-how in, in you know most of these developing markets. Um, we don't have... Uh, the capacity and it's not as sophisticated yet. And so we typically manage, but specifically in my role, um, my job is to sign the agreements, whether it's management or franchise. So I'm looking at new leads. I'm going out to get new leads, um, building relationships with potential owners, uh, signing, negotiating and signing the agreements, the management or franchise agreements with them, coordinating all of the in-house, um, all of the in-house activities that are required to get us up until signing. And then I'm passing on to um, our technical team who provide um, an advisory slash consulting slash project management role uh, to the project. And they work on behalf of Marriott. They work with the owner um, and their and the owner's consulting team to make sure that what's built is according to our brand standards. They give the final check off when the hotel is done and, and it's according to our standards. And then we have the operations team 
you know, the managers come in and do the pre-opening uh, work that get the hotel ready. And that's where they do, you know, hiring of the staff, um, testing, testing, testing all the, you know, guest rooms and, and functions of the hotel to make sure it's get it's ready for um, for opening. So uh, there's there's there's, you know, different steps that 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 occur from inception to opening. And mine is really at the very beginning. Um, by the time a hotel opens, um, it's 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 passed through so many hands and and knowing how long things take it i might not even be around when the hotel opens uh, and i've signed the deal that's great you've just on what you've told me i wonder if you ever ask yourself the question am i too young to be dealing with these mega deals i i feel that sometimes in my work i don't know if fred does too but i i think maybe i just haven't realized how old i am and how much experience i have now but i always pause in the middle of big deals i'm working on and think there should be someone else who's older than me who's dealing with this stuff right this is a very this is very sophisticated things do you ever feel like that no i mean i, I don't know how how young i sound but i'm not that young um, oh, I know. I'm older than you are. You told you told us your birth year, so I'm a few years older than you, which is why I still maybe I still feel like I'm in my 20s sometimes, and I'm definitely not in my 20s anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, so I feel like all I've done, all I've done really in my career is hospitality. Um, I went to I went to grad school for hospitality, and when you get into hotel school you know, at that level, all your, all your peers are hospitality people. So I have a whole network of, um, of, of people in, in similar roles, uh, who have graduated around the same time. And so, you know, I feel like I'm in good company. Um, all my, my jobs were in, in the hotel industry or real estate. Um, some of the work I did, uh, when after grad school was, at consulting. So I was working for the owners, um, basically doing the feasibility studies, those, those initial feasibility studies, business planning, and, and that piqued my interest even more. And that made me, um, sure that I wanted to be on the other side, working for a hotel owner or a hotel company. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's it's always staggering when you consider how much goes into these projects and, um, you know, the fact that my decisions are helping to, to you know, make this a reality. Uh, it's it's humbling. Um, I've I've been to a couple hotels where, you know, I did the initial feasibility sto- study for in my days as a consultant. And those are those are some of the the more. Um, humbling, but at the same time, you know, gratifying experiences. Like, oh, I contributed to this, and 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 now it's real. It's it's that happened recently in in uh, in in Guinea, uh, Conakry, uh, the Republic of Guinea, um, in the city called Conakry, and and there was a Sheraton grant that's that I had done the feasibility for in my day as a consultant, and maybe 2012 you know, last year I was working for the company that, that ended up managing the hotel. It was, it was a full circle moment. So Dami, let's talk about the pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic. This is nowadays um, a question that we, we pretty much ask in every podcast because it, it really impacts the 
pretty much every country in the world, every aspect of the economy. So in your region, what has the the impact been? I know Jonathan uh, asked about this in the context of tourism specifically, but um, what has been the the broader impact on the economy? What impacts have there been on you on your work? I'm, I'm thinking um, about the ability to travel, the ability to uh, visit some of the countries on your beat without having to undergo quarantines and things of, of, of that sort. What what's your perspective on on this? Um, personally, the the main the main impact has been the travel uh, that went from from traveling two times at least twice a month to nothing after March twenty twenty. Um, I I didn't travel the rest of the year, uh, and so even though there were still deals that that I was handling, I everything had to be done remotely. Um, it was interesting going from, you know, having to do physical negotiations where you're coordinating calendars, coordinating everyone's schedules, and you're, you know, trying to find a mutual city somewhere in the world that everyone can meet to having to do this on, on Microsoft Teams. Um, that was interesting. Uh, but it was, it was also interesting to see how everyone kind of adjusted and it just, it's become the new norm. Uh, most of my negotiations since then have been, have been on, on, uh, have been done virtually. And, and in, in the, in the past, that was, that would have been really strange. Um, so the travel has personally been, uh, the major, the major, the major impact for me, uh, not being able to see the cities, uh, firsthand, um, has been interesting, but, uh, you know, we're starting, we're slowly starting to get out there and, and return to some kind of normalcy. So that's also, um, that's also satisfying, but on macro levels in, in, in the countries, um, I think most of the fallout has actually been on the economic side. So, you know, reduced demand certainly has impacted the hospitality industry in, in many of these markets. But an interesting thing to note is, say, a country, a country like Nigeria, which before the pandemic, uh, most of the major hotels would probably see about uh, maybe 50-50 tourists come from outside from outside the country from international destinations and then you know to an to a half would come locally from from other cities in the country it's mostly domestic um, markets and an interesting thing to note is recovery particularly in secondary markets that didn't depend really on an international travel so much that recovered really quickly, even in 2020. Some of the hotels um, in, you know, in the secondary markets were reporting that they just never, they never shut down. They never saw a slowdown um, for various factors. People didn't feel as impacted uh, with COVID-19 in, you know, in many parts of the country. In parts like Lagos and Abuja that is exposed to is very exposed to the international markets. That's where we felt it. And that's where, you know, people kind of had to hunker down and we had lockdowns. There were other cities that didn't have any lockdown and things just went on as normal. 
And so, of course, their hotels are not going to fill it because people are going about their normal business. Um, people were traveling within the country a lot more because they didn't have, um, they couldn't travel outside the country. And even now that international travel has opened up because of all the different quarantine rules, um, you know, there was a time where people from South Africa and Brazil had to quarantine for two weeks <laughs> if they wanted to visit Nigeria. Um, because of those kind of rules, we haven't seen the the bounce back of international tourists, but we've seen recovery in the hotels uh, to 2019 levels. And this year it's looking even better uh, so far. And it's, it's, it's really a testament to how strong domestic demand is and how resilient people are when uh, they feel like they don't have other options. So our hotels in most of these markets uh, have recovered, uh, probably doing better than um, some than some Western markets. Um, but then, you know, there's there's inflation that has hit, you know, countries like Nigeria with uh, weaker fiscal policies. There's inflation, and I, I well, to be honest, I think inflation has hit a lot of uh, growing markets around the world. But we're seeing it here in double digits, which is not encouraging and also has uh, impacted our our currency our currency is weaker uh in the market as well um but it's it does feel like a return to normal um for the most part people are going about their their usual business people are traveling within the country within the region the flights are back up and I guess it's it's really um, as, as it's it's the best that you can hope for in a situation like this. But but also we you know we do need the foreign um, flow of traffic too as well um, because that signifies foreign investment and and you know more more interest in our in our economy from 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 outside sources. Um, there are hot spots. Our tech industry has um, had an amazing 2021, and you know, so far from the announcements of of how much companies have raised, how much some of these startups have have raised, um, it's also encouraging for this year as well. So, our fintech space, particularly in Africa, but particularly in Nigeria, um, South Africa, of course, Ethiopia, um, well, Nigeria representing West Africa, um, has seen really strong really strong investment in in the tech space, particularly in the fintech space. And, and that's also an encouraging um, offshoot as well. And um, the creative spaces. So the fashion, the art, the music. Um, I think we're seeing more interest now than we've ever seen before in, in you know, our entertainment, um, our creative spaces. The, the local Nigerian art scene is booming and um, we, we I think it's very encouraging um, to see to see some of these industries grow beyond the traditional oil sector um, uh, which is you know you know pretty much out of our hands because we don't we don't actually manufacture. <laughs> We don't we don't have the manufacturing capacity to to handle these natural resources. 
you've already touched a bit on this, but I'd love to hear about Lagos, what life is like there, what you love about it, what you don't love about it. Uh, and especially since you've lived in New York City as well, you can do a little compare and contrast for us. That would be excellent. Um, I, I, when I, when I moved to, uh, New York as a young adult, I saw a lot of similarities to Lagos, um, big urban jungle, lots of people, very fast paced. Um, and so I, I compare, I compare New York actually. So I always thought, oh, this would be, Lagos would be the New York of, of Africa. Um, well, Coming back again as a as an older adult, it's 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 very different in the sense that there is still a bit of predictability to to life in New York. Um, you know, you turn on the you turn on the the light switch, and you know the light is going to come on, and you open the taps, and you know water is going to come out. And here, um, it, no matter how comfortable and well off you are, you still know that you're in a developing um, economy because there's just, there's never a boring moment. Things, things don't work the way they, they should, or you think they should. And, and so that keeps you on your toes. Um, you can insulate yourself as much as you can, but you know, the reality is always still out there. So I, I love the energy of Lagos. I love the can do anything can happen spirit. It's very infectious, um, you know, when you see young people um, putting themselves out there, trying to to do something creative in, in various spaces, when you see the entrepreneurial spirit on the streets, the traders, it's, it's very inspiring. Um, it's, you know, a bit of a cliche, but, you know, people say we're, we're some of the most resilient people on the earth, and we are, and uh, being around that, being surrounded by that is, is, is very inspiring and makes you want to also, you know, kind of step up your game. Um, sometimes I wish things were easier. Um, and you know, that's, that's probably a wish that everyone, uh, hope, hopes for and, and is working for. I wish things, uh, didn't have to be so difficult on a daily basis for, for, for a lot of people. Um, but, it also humbles you and and keeps you grounded, um, especially if you um, have a choice to not live here. Right? I I I I don't have to live here, and there there are many like me who don't have to live here, who can who can you know sort of es- escape to to more welcoming, more uh, uh, comfortable climate climates. Um, the decision to stay here, having that in your hands is, it also keeps you focused on, well, you know, as much as I can to, to help make things better, um, you, you want to do. And, and so I really enjoy working here. I don't always enjoy living here. Um, I wish I had more, um, options in, you know, you know, restaurants and, you know, parks and all these kind of trappings of a first world, first world uh, city. I wish I had that. And so there's, there's like a balance I'm trying to, to strike between loving, you know, what I do here and having it feel like, you know, maybe it's making an impact for the good 
and also that selfish need to want to make sure that I'm I'm as comfortable as 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 I know that I can be. Um, that's that's a balance that I'm that I'm still I'm still trying to 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 strike, and uh, you know, it, it's a it's a constant struggle, I would say. So, Dami, this has been a great conversation. Really learned a lot. Really, I mean, there was just so much, um, so much great information that you shared with us. So, so thank you for that. Definitely, um, I mean, certainly a, a very enlightening conversation for for which we are thankful. Before we let you go, though, we have one more one more request, um, and that is for a recommendation or recommendations on your part. Um, feel free to to recommend a, a future guest, although you can also do that offline if you don't want to put them on the spot. Uh, and or feel free to recommend um, anything you've you've read recently, anything you've you've watched recently, any place that you've visited recently that you think is worth worth sharing with our audience. Okay, um, I have a couple. One is um, a visit to Nigeria. I, I have to be a tourism ambassador here. Um, and so I mentioned this earlier, but Christmas has become, you know, a thing. And it's actually become such a thing that we've we've coined it Dirty December. It's D-E-T-T-Y, to play on the word dirty meaning uh, people are just having fun. It's very festive um, in Christmas time. Um, there's always so much to do. It's the one time where you feel like, even though you live here throughout the year, um, it's become a destination. It's actually become you know, somewhat of a tourist destination, if you will. Um, Lagos is the perfect you know, is is the perfect location for that. It's warm in December. It's we have beaches, we have uh, you know restaurants, nightclubs, um, cultural activities, and so Dirty De- December is a recommendation. You know, for anyone who's who's interested in Nigeria and wants to uh, try it out. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Butter, Honey, Pig, Bread. It's interesting. It's about, uh, I'm still in the middle of it. It's about twins who have been separated because of an event that happened when they're young. Um, their mom is, um, she's she's kind of like a spiritual being. So those are my two recommendations and they're both uh, Nigeria based. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Nigeria is definitely on on my list of places that I'd like to visit. I'm pretty sure it's it's on Jonathan's as well. And hopefully, once things uh, get get back to normal, um, that can we we can get on with a with a long overdue trip to to Africa and more Nigeria specifically. Um, Jonathan, do you have any recommendations for us this week? My recommendation this week is an article I read this morning called Web3 is the Future or a Scam or Both. This is an article on Vox in the Recode series, and it's a very lucid article about the pros and cons of Web3 technology, blockchain, NFTs, cryptocurrencies, from a very balanced standpoint, I think, including explaining some of the problems, some of the opportunities. So if you're someone who has been hearing a lot about Web3, been hearing a lot about these different terms and wants, 
kind of a, a non-technical viewpoint on what's going on, a, a very digestible viewpoint. This is a great article. So it's in at Vox and it is called uh, Web3 is the future or a scam or both. Fred, what do you have for us today? I'd like to recommend a YouTube channel called Heresy Financial. And I've, I started um, uh, watching their videos a couple of weeks ago. They're bite-sized. They, they talk about timely economic uh, and related topics. And the presenter just, just, just has a, a very engaging style. You know, just one of, one of these guys who, who manages to not only um, draw your attention with, with his style, but also has a, a, an ability to really break down complicated topics into, into ways, um, that are at least for me, uh, relatively easy to understand. So, so, so check it out just, just to give you a flavor of, of what he's doing recently. He had a video about, um, the, the concept of, of, of fiat currency basically. So sort of tying it, uh, tying with, uh, linking this with, with, um, with your recommendation, Jonathan, and he sort of discussed, uh, the legal and constitutional basis for, uh, for our current, uh, currency laws and what impact that could have, uh, on crypto in the future. So check it out, heresy financial. If you go to YouTube and, uh, type that into the, uh, the search box, you'll, you'll find it. And with that, Dami, I'd like to thank you once again for, for joining us again, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, as, as I listened uh, to you, I, I just just had um, you know dreams of of jetting off and visiting some of these countries um, that, you, that within your region, which which have been on my list for for a long time. So hopefully, before too long, that trip can become a reality, and hopefully, you know we can we can, you, you can show us a little bit of of, of Lagos. Um, as a, as a, as a, as an insider guide. So thank you for, for joining us. Look forward to having you again before too long. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was, this was good. This was fun. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken, music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.